Hi everyone and welcome to Fast Charge episode 81. Uh, you will notice the bearded presence of Lewis is not with us this week. He's taking a well-deserved week off uh, and he has such big shoes to fill we've managed to replace him with two people simultaneously. So alongside me and Toddy we also have Hannah and Jim joining us. Hi. Hello. Hello. Uh, this has been a quiet week in the tech world. I think everyone is sort of eyeing up this iPhone launch coming up and sort of tech timber and tech tober and whatever else you want to worry about looming ahead of us. We've already got that Xiaomi event as well. So it's a bit of a sort of pause as everyone waits with bated breath to see what the big companies have with them on the horizon. Uh, that is a little odd because it's also EFA week, but nothing is really <laughs> happening at EFA, I'm afraid. I'm not even sure if EFA's happening at EFA this week because it's all been so odd with the cancellations. But there have been a few of companies holding events this week, but it has almost entirely been headphone announcements and small little smart home bits that, to be honest, haven't been thrilling. Uh, what we do have is the Fossil Gen 6 series, which are worth talking about, because I think we've already spoken about the Galaxy Watch 4 series. Last week we were talking about the Fitbit Charge 5. Um, and then Fossil are actually one of the big players because the watches they make are basically the watches that then, the smart watches that get picked up by loads of sort of fashion brands when they want to put out their own branded smartwatch. So these actually end up becoming some of the biggest, most widespread smartwatches around, at least on the android slash wear os side of the equation so we're going to talk all about that lineup and what that looks like and what it means uh, then we are going to turn to what's been i think it's fair to say quite a bad week for apple um, as they've sort of had their app store guidelines and in fairness google's as well um, hounded on on two sides by both japanese and korean authorities and it has actually prompted some genuine changes in apple's app store policies which i feel like are just sort of the the beginning of things to come uh the the small little bits that are going to snowball into much bigger changes to how app stores work over the next couple of years but we'll see uh and then finally part of the reason jim has joined us is to talk about phone scams and uh securing yourself thereof uh this has been a growing issue at least here in the uk uh, so much so that even as we sat down to record this podcast <laughs> Jim suddenly got texted <laughs> with a phone scam. <laughs> so we're going to talk about why these things are growing and how they've become a lot more sophisticated and actually a lot harder to avoid. And, you know, to the point that even we as tech journalists kind of still have to keep our wits about us uh, to avoid falling into some of these. So we're going to run through a few of the obvious things that you need to worry about. Before that, let's turn to a few little bits and pieces of news from the last few days. Uh, first up, and actually I think the latest thing we're going to talk about, Samsung has announced two new camera sensors for smartphones, the Isocell HP1 and the Isocell GN5. Uh, these are partly interesting in and of their own right, especially the HP1 because it's the first 200 megapixel sensor, which obviously is just getting a bit silly. Obviously, these are also exciting because they immediately spark the question of, well, which phones are they going in? Uh, there were a lot of rumors the S22 Ultra was going to use a 200 megapixel sensor, so that could be it. Equally, a lot of people then, other leakers said it won't, it's going to stick with the same sensor as last year. Uh, instead, we've also seen that the Xiaomi 12 Ultra might use a 200 megapixel sensor. If it does, it's almost certainly this one. Uh, and the GN5, that fixed 50 megapixel one, there's been a lot of talk that both the standard S22 series and the standard Xiaomi 12 will be using 50 megapixel main cameras. So this could be popping up in either or both of those as well. So if you do care, go run down the specs of these sensors because they give you a pretty good idea of the camera capabilities of those two phones. Well, it's four phones, six phones if you count the Plus and Pro models. There's a lot of phones there. <laughs> uh, but, you know, we've got, got a little sneak peek of what they might be capable of through this. Uh, speaking of camera tech, Vivo has unveiled not a camera sensor, but an image processor, which is kind of interesting. It's unveiled the imaging chip v1 which is its first in-house isp uh it says that it's taken it 24 months of development to build this it hasn't confirmed what we're going to see it in but everyone pretty much knows we're going to see this in at least one of the x70 flagship phones which are set to be revealed on september 9th uh, we don't really know exactly what this is capable of or how it's going to improve things but it's a very interesting sign of things to come as vivo is developing its own chips and yes, it's starting with an image sensor, but uh, sorry, an image processor. 
but could that just be the first little trickle of more stuff on the horizon? And let's not forget, Vivo is part of the same parent company as Oppo and OnePlus and Realme. So as soon as Vivo is developing its own silicon, you have to start wondering if Oppo is developing its own silicon, and suddenly it starts to feel like a much, much bigger issue. Uh, speaking of Oppo, man, I've done this perfect set of segues without planning it. Uh, <laughs> this is a weird one. The Reno 6 series is going to come out in Europe, the Middle East, and parts of Africa. That is odd because Oppo kind of stopped releasing the Reno phones internationally because it started re-releasing them as parts of the Find X series. Mm. But now it started releasing the Renos again. Oh, no. I'm pretty sure it the Find me... X3 Lite that we reviewed is a Reno 6 of I some think sort. It's, oh, it's, I think it's, they're it's fives. They're Reno 5s. Right, right. Yeah, okay. it was a, yeah so, I reviewed the Lite yeah, and it was a 5, right. yeah. So when we saw the Reno 6 series arrive, there was kind of knowing looks and said, well, at least one of those is going to be the Find X4 Lite and another one will be the Find X4 Neo. Now maybe not, because if they're actually releasing the Reno 6s, they can't really just re-release them with a different name on or can they? Or can they? Are they, they going to trim down the Find X line? Like, oh, yeah. Oh, maybe it so means confusing. that we're not getting Neos and Lights. I don't know. It, it, Oppo's lineup has been so messy around how it handles its flagships, especially outside of China. And it felt like it was clarifying as it just said the Renos are a China only line. And now it's just muddying the waters all over again. So. The Find, Thanks, X, the Find X release in general has been weird, isn't it? Because it's been like, you know, sometimes three phones will come, but not four. And like one of them will be missing or come at a later date. Like yeah. That happened with both, I think, the Find X 2. And, and, and the, the Reno line has been messy too, because they had, like, I think it was the 4 series, the last one I reviewed. In certain markets, they had just 4G. In some markets, they had 5G. Mm. And those are actually different devices. It wasn't just the modem. Like, they had a whole different yep. spec sheet. Despite the name, yeah. Man. It makes our job so hard. <laughs> <laughs> so we'll see. Not entirely sure which markets these are coming to, but yeah, keep an eye out for Reno 6s if you are tempted, because if nothing else, it's a way to get the Oppo Find X4 Lite six months early. Um, moving sort of away from phones, um, we now have an official launch date for Windows 11, yeah. which is October 5th. Uh, the reason this is related to the show is because, interestingly, Microsoft has confirmed that at that launch date, Windows 11 will not support Android apps, which was one of the biggest, most exciting features of the OS. Um, I've been running the developer preview of it on our laptop, and as far as I'm aware, that doesn't hasn't yet included the Android app support. Uh, if it has, I haven't figured out how to get at it or use it. So this isn't really that surprising, because if they haven't been testing it in the public then clearly it's not quite fully baked and ready to go. But yes, a little bit of a disappointment that one of the big, exciting highlight features of the OS isn't quite ready to go, and we're not really sure when that Android support is going to arrive. Mm. Uh, and before the Windows 11 launch, as also worth saying, there's now confirmed to be a Surface hardware event on September 22nd. So we're going to see some new Surface products turn up then, and maybe that will include the Surface Duo 2 the second gen of Microsoft's sort of two-screen, flippy, foldy phone, which would also be exciting. And really add extra emphasis to the disappointment of not having Android apps in Windows as they unveil new Windows hardware and new Android hardware that do not link up in the ways they said <laughs> these would all link up. Oh, and there's a further disappointment because anyone who's currently running Windows 10 and was hoping to get the upgrade to Windows 11, uh, they won't be probably getting it until 2022 because it's only uh, brand new hardware that's sold in the shops I think oh, as I understand it which is actually getting that. the upgrade right. so you won't be downloading you know you won't be sitting there October the 5th going oh I can download Windows 11 now no you have to wait until you're offered it and it will be based on uh, how how old your hardware is how compatible it is they're doing a kind of phased and measured rollout this time Oh, I bet I'll yeah, I'm, bo team. I'm bottom of the pile then because my <laughs> PC is from like 2014. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so get get in the beta preview now and try and lock that into your hardware, then yeah. just disconnect your machine from the internet <laughs> to make sure it doesn't update away. Uh, final little bit of news. Uh, I did say it's been a, a host of sort of not very exciting audio announcements this week, but there has been one that's interesting, I think which is just that Bose has announced the QuietComfort 45 headphones. Um, if you don't know, these are the, the QuietComfort 35 Mark II, 
the naming got weird for a bit, uh, was Bose's sort of flagship noise-cancelling headphones, the rivals to those uh, Sony ones that come out, and they've always been sort of neck and neck. The line's gotten a bit weird because then they had the noise-cancelling headphone 700, which were the follow-ups to the 35.2s, but now the 45s have arrived and they're also a follow-up to the 35s, and they sit alongside each other. And they have some of the same features, but not exactly the same. And the designs are a little different. These are a little chunkier. They're a bit less sleek than the, the 700s. The naming is completely different. As always, tech naming, it's messy. But <laughs> We can't help talk are, about it every week because it's I know, so every bad. Time, there's always a reason to. But yeah, if you're, if you're in the market for that kind of new noise-canceling overhead headphones in that $330 kind of space, there's a new player out uh, just announced, so no one's had the chance to try them out yet. But... Going by Bose's pedigree, they are probably going to be very, very good. Okay, on to the actual show. Uh, we are going to start with our one big hard topic of the day, the Fossil Gen 6 smartwatches. Uh, as always, with wearables, I'm going to really quickly pass over to Toddy, who knows this stuff so much better than I do. Uh, but in Thanks. brief, these are the new series of Fossil smartwatches. Um, they are the first to pack the Snapdragon Wear 4100 Plus chipset, if I've got that name right. Correct. Um, which, in theory, according to Fossil at least, brings some improvements in performance, but also in charging speeds and power efficiency and things like that. Uh, and just to head off at the past, the big question you may all have, no, these are not shipping with Wear OS 3. Yes, they will get Wear OS 3. Yes, it's going to be quite a while before that happens. <laughs> kind of like Windows 11 for a lot of people. Yes. Exactly, yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, so the, the Gen 6, uh, if you've been following Fossil already, you will probably already be familiar with the Gen 5. That launched, I think, August 2019. And in the interim, we have had two kind of variations on a theme with the Gen 5 LTE, which you could probably guess what the upgrade there is, and the Gen 5e, which is basically a stripped-down version without GPS and less uh, storage for um, a little less money. Um, but that's all we've really seen. And kind of as you touched on in your, in your news segment, Dom, Fossil, for those listening, has basically served... It's kind of been the main um, uh, the main hardware maker for Wear OS-based smartwatches, kind of for the whole time Wear OS has been around. Like, once Fossil got into the game, they were the brand that you knew would have the, the biggest selection of Wear OS offerings. And part of that is helped by the fact that this is... Fossil, the fashion brand, is part of the Fossil Group, which actually also has rights to use the brand names from a lot of other fashion names that you'll know, like Diesel and like, um, not Mark Jacobs, the name's just gone from my head. Michael uh, Kors. Michael Kors, that's it. It was yeah. M something, yeah, Michael Kors. Yeah. Um, in this announcement, they did also announce they're going to have Gen 6s of the Michael Kors smartwatches too, and we will assume... Um, we'll see Scargan and Diesel and the other brands under that umbrella will also get Gen 6 upgrades soon enough as well, but there's nothing right now. Um, the big upgrade here, as you said, is the Snapdragon Wear 4100 Plus. We talked a few weeks back, I think, about when Movoi, the kind of smaller Chinese, um, they call themselves like an AI company, but they do a lot of smartwatches, especially in the West. That's the kind of thing they're known for. Um, they were the first and basically only company to have a Snapdragon Wear 4100 chip. The Plus is just a very slight tweak on that. I think it has a, a different co-processor set up. It's very granular as to like what the upgrade is here between the two, but they're both about the same in terms of it's, real world performance. It's kind of mad. We went so long where all you could get was stuff on the 3100 or even the yeah. 2100. And Qualcomm yeah. went so, so slow about updates. Manufacturers were so slow about adopting them. And then we've, within weeks, gone from the 4100 to the 4100 Plus. Yeah. Well, <laughs> Just the, straight away. The weird thing as well is that this chip is already a year old. Like, the, yeah. there's been rumours of a 5100 in the works based on, like, code, I think, that people have spotted in some sort of testing benchmarking app or something. But generally speaking, yeah, the, the Snapdragon, it, there's so little competition because... Huawei was using its own Kirin chips in its watches. It had the A1 mm -hmm. chip for the longest time. Yeah. Uh, Samsung's been using its own chips in its watches. And Apple, of course, uses its own chips. And in terms of big smartwatch players, there's not really many others out there. Um, Oppo made a couple of smartwatches last year. They used uh, Snapdragon Wear chipsets as well. 
um, if I'm not mistaken. But uh, yeah, there really aren't many yeah. other players. So Fossil is kind of the main uh, brand to be associated with both Wear OS and Snapdragon Wear chips. So the fact that they have finally upgraded their platform is kind of a big deal, despite them not having any kind of like direct ties, you know, no partnership ties, at least to Google or, or Qualcomm in this regard. They just chose to use that hardware and that software for their platform. You do have to wonder if the um, the big partnership with Samsung is kind of good or bad news for players like Fossil, because in a way, you know, suddenly, like you said, they have new competition in a sense in that mm. they are no longer the top of the Wear OS pile because Samsung's waded in and is also now doing Wear OS. But equally, if it actually reinvigorates that market a little bit and gives a bit more like, at least for tech savvy consumers, gives a bit more hope and trust in Wear OS. That could be a good thing for them if they're kind of synonymous with, yeah, we make we make Wear OS devices. For sure. Like, arguably, they've made the best because they've had the biggest selection of Wear OS smartwatches. Mm. I think what they've been good for as a brand is showing the diversity of smartwatches, like usable smartwatches, not just like ones that look nice but are actually terrible from some random manufacturer that you find on Amazon. But, um, yeah, I think they, they've done, because they've had all these brands under the umbrella and because they launched their watches in a whole host of different styles out the gate, um, I think they've been really good for just smartwatch, the smartwatch market in general. And of course, for Wear OS platforms, showing kind of the versatility that you don't always get from having two sizes of one type of watch each year from Apple, from Samsung. Um, I think um, they're probably like a slightly different market from the type of people who would buy Samsung and Apple because of the designer names and things like that, which you will get people who will be like, you know, going in and looking for a watch from that brand and it's like oh wait but i could also have it having smart features and stuff like that and that's a bit different than people who are like look at my new apple watch da 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 like you know it's totally. yeah there's something to the fact that it doesn't have a tech company name on it's got a fashion company name on and like you say you're going to find it you're going to find the diesel watch in a diesel store yeah. and you might be in a diesel store not really thinking about smart watches but you see that they have one and it's you know it's a diesel one and oh maybe that's worth a look you know mm. Yeah, and also in terms of that choice, the other thing that Wear OS has always been good for, or not always, but but in more recent years, is giving iPhone users the option of a circular smartwatch or a different design smartwatch that they can yeah. use with their phone. Mm. Of course, with Wear OS 3, there's talk that there is no iOS support. That's based on the experiences with the Galaxy Watch 4 so far, which is the only Wear OS 3-based watch like currently out there. Um, so we don't know for sure whether that's going to be a case when Wear OS, like vanilla, launches probably on these watches or the pixel watch if that is definitely a thing that, that would, we're expecting would, to be fair put fossil in an awkward spot because as i already meant as i mentioned earlier they have said that these will get the upgrade to wear os3 yes equally they are saying that these watches are compatible with both android and ios and they are right now you yes know? but there is going to be this question mark if it does turn out the wear os3 has no or maybe limited ios support that upgrade the messaging around that upgrade will have to be very careful to stop iPhone owners from bricking their smartwatches functionally. Pretty how much. long? How long could could people like hang on? <laughs> like, be like, I mean, like... I, I have like an old Wear OS watch in the other room, and all the basic stuff like it'll still work as long as the app, the companion app on your phone, like can yep. communicate with it. You can still get notifications and do Google voice searches and that kind of stuff. You just have to keep pressing cancel every time. It's like oh, no, <laughs> I don't know. I think the main. <laughs> Presumably, the main thing is more security than anything else. People work because yep. you do tie your Google account to these devices as you would any other kind of Android device, be it a smartwatch or um, be it a phone or a tablet. So it's more like a security risk more than a, kind of a functionality thing. They're already rolling out a lot of Wear OS 3 features to Wear OS 2. So like Tiles is something that was announced yonks ago, which I mentioned with the Galaxy Watch 4 hands-on that we talked about. But um, only now are third parties getting a hold of this feature. And it basically mm. just gives you widgets to one side of your main watch face. And that's coming to uh, Wear OS 2 already, even though it's going to be much more of a thing in Wear OS 3. Um, so, yeah. In terms of the platform update, that's not expected till late 2022 as well. Um, and also, there is also the caveat that you currently will have to wipe your watch. So you'll have to basically set it up afresh and you... When you uh, do decide to upgrade, if you do decide to upgrade, depending on how they handle, especially the iOS stuff, mm, wow. that so, yeah, might be annoying for a lot of people who enjoy yeah, a lot of the. Yeah, it's a very complicated. Like Fossil's an interesting player, but the the kind of behind the scenes Wear OS technical backend stuff is the, is is really quite a mess right now, and I think Google is the one that needs to be more kind of uh, clear on what's going to happen 
in mm. the devices yeah. that are getting the update more, more than the hardware manufacturers. I don't think it's really the ball is definitely in Google's court, in my opinion. Um, I mean, I'd be really interested to know the breakdown in terms of like the audiences who use this watches, whether how many people actually do use it for like active stuff versus mm. like just using it as a general like you know having notifications on your wrist, like because it's you know um, yeah because it, because it's a sort of watch that you could. You know, when you look at it, it's not like when I try on a fitness tracker, you know, it's like, well, I yeah. can't wear that out to dinner or whatever, but you could with this. To uh, your point on market, I think that may be part of the reason why they haven't, Fossil hasn't been like hot on upgrading its hardware any sooner yeah. than now. Yeah. Um, you know, fine, LTE is good because it means you can leave your phone at home and because they have built in GPS, you can then track your runs using Google Fit with the GPS and your cellular and still get calls and that's great. But um, because the fashion angle is so prominent in their branding and, and in what the products are, um, I think that's probably why we haven't seen a quicker update cycle. And like even this update to Gen 6 is a new chip, blood oxygen saturation, which is kind of like the hot new feature that all the wearables are taking yeah. on board more or less, like or have done in the last couple of generations. Yeah. Um, you get faster charging here. They say 80% charge in 30 minutes, which is nice. Like fast charging on watches is pretty good because actually they can take a long time to charge otherwise, despite being small. Um, and that's kind of it in terms of the hardware upgrade stuff. So yeah, it really is down to the Wear OS experience and obviously the new designs. I will say they look kind of similar to the existing Fossil watches. If you've seen the previous ones, they're kind of the same. You get two body sizes. Uh, it's 42 and 44 millimeter casings. You get 18 or 22 millimeter straps, which you can replace with any old watch strap that fits those, which is nice. Mm-hmm. Um, they have a bunch of combinations and, th- and additional straps you can buy out the gate. Um, and the pricing is also the same as Gen 5. So you're not paying more for the upgrades here, which is good. I think after two years, that seems like a sensible move. It, yeah, it'd be hard to yeah. price with the upgrades they've done and how long it's taken to do them. Yeah, um, the big question right here, as we've already said, is that Wear OS three stuff because I'd just be so. It, it seems silly right now to buy a Wear OS two device that wouldn't wouldn't get an upgrade. Yes, but I'd equally be so hesitant recommending someone this on the basis that it will get the upgrade next year because we know so little about when that will happen next year, how that will work what the rest of the market's going to look like at that point and say looking at this versus the option of the galaxy watch fours where the software now is known it's a known quantity you already get that upgrade and you know you're not going to wipe your watch next year or something like that it's um if it's for someone who you know i think we already said a lot of people who buy these are getting to them from a different route to samsung buys but for someone who was weighing them up i'd be hard pressed not to say well the Samsung is a known quantity. Like, go for that one right now. Yeah, literally the only the only thing I guess is price and Google integration is going to be better on a standard Wear OS watch because on the Galaxy Watch 4, you have Bixby true. by default, mm-hmm. which if you are a frequent voice assistant user, for whatever reason, your smart home, whatever, having it on your wrist, having reviewed previous Wear OS watches is quite nice. Mm. Um, and not being able to like control my lights because I haven't set them up with Samsung smart things is quite annoying. Mm-hmm. Um, so having Google Assistant on there, which these watches should all have, they have, I believe, they definitely have microphones. They might also have speakers. I'm pretty sure they have speakers or they have had in the past. Um, yeah, is is handy. So that's another kind of small check mark in, in the, the stock or aware slash fossil column. Yeah. Um, cool. Okay. When are these things available? They're pretty soon, right? Uh, yeah, the pre-order date is all... A th- happening oh this month now we're in september so um let me find when does it launch it is 27th september but it does vary by market so in the us i think they're on pre-order now um in the uk they come on pre-order in a few days time uh, i think in the 20th i think it is of september mm-hmm. and then the 27th is the us launch and i don't think we have an official launch date in the uk Right, fine. Um, and as I said, pricing is the same as before so uh, about 299 dollars 279 pounds um, and there's a if you get the larger sized bodies or different material options, I think it's actually more based on like if you get a metal watch strap rather than a silicon one, then you'll pay three nineteen dollars or two nine nine pounds. Cool, great. Okay. Um, so yeah, those are available to look at pretty, sometime pretty soon. I think these look like safe kind of upgrades on the yeah. previous gen, but if you Very. want a straight down the line Wear OS watch, you want one now. You want one that you know will get the upgrade. These are basically the only option you've got. And if you want a smartwatch that doesn't look like a Galaxy Watch or mm. an 
uh, an Apple Watch, yes. then this is probably the good third option. You want a I mean, you've got the Huawei Watch, yeah, or something. Oh, don't get that. Until Google don't unveils the Pixel Watch, maybe. <laughs> don't get the Huawei Watch, though. Don't get the Huawei Watch. How many OSDs work, man? <laughs> uh, okay, let's move on and turn to all things Apple. So I mentioned it's been a, a bit of a ropey week for Apple. Um, basically, we've had two rulings in, in the same week from respectively Japan and South Korea. They both have impacts for Apple's very carefully constructed walled garden of its app store. Uh, first up was South Korea, where the parliament, the South Korean parliament passed actually quite narrowly um, a bill that requires both Google and Apple's app stores to allow third-party payment processes, essentially. Uh, so essentially, they were taking aim at the fact that both these app stores lock in-app purchases to going through Google and Apple's payment processing, where each of them takes a pretty hefty 30% cut by default. Uh, compare this to, say, you know, I, I don't know, like Visa payment processing, where they take a percentage or, or something in that kind of region. So it's a hugely different uh, cost setup. And of course, if you suddenly get the choice to use a much, much, much cheaper third-party payment processor, you'd be hard-pressed not to. Uh, it would seem like a bit of a no-brainer for the, for the for app developers to include the option, at least. Um, we haven't seen yet what impact that's going to have on Apple, and as I said, on Google too, this does affect both of them. Um, but most likely any change they make will be limited to South Korea, and they'll just kind of gate the way they allow those things to work. Um, but they are going to be required to allow it in South Korea. Um, the bigger change in a sense it's a smaller but it is global uh <laughs> comes via Japan, i think it was the japan's fair trade commission sure, uh, and this is right. specifically targeted at apple um rather than google at least for the moment and it's part of an investigation from this antitrust regulator uh and basically they have declared the sort of the outcome of this uh, as announced by apple in a press release is that they will now allow what apple calls reader apps um, will now be allowed to include a single link to their website for account setup and management. And I'm aware that sounds so inconsequentially small <laughs> that it cannot matter at all, but it does. Uh, because reader apps basically means any, th any subscription service that gives you access to digital content that you don't actually buy in the app, but you pay a subscription to get access to everything. So the obvious example is just Netflix. You pay Netflix a subscription that gives you access to this catalog, but you don't make payments within Netflix every time you want to watch something. So Netflix is a reader app. Um, anything like Spotify would be another example, anything like that. So um, despite the reader term, it's not just written stuff, it's also music. Um, and and video media. I think video games are a separate yeah. issue, and yeah. there are thorny stuff around there, so they aren't covered by this yet. But you know that, that there's other question marks there that we'll get into. Um, but yeah, basically the key thing here is Apple has previously never allowed these apps to include links to their websites because of again this payment processing issue. Because Apple is terrified that as a non-Netflix user, you will install the Netflix app on your iPhone. You'll click a link to the Netflix website. You'll sign up on the Netflix website and then go back to the app. They don't want you to do that. They want you to start your account in the app because at that point, Apple gets its 30% cut every single month that you pay. Um, allowing this single link is sort of the little crack in this <laughs> protective wall it has around its payment processing because suddenly there's this slim chance some users will slip through the cracks and end up signing up on the Netflix website. And if it starts, you know, there's, again, this question of snowballing. And as we've spoken in the past, Apple's kind of under investigation for similar stuff in several other countries around the world uh, that could all end up with similar rulings, with similar implications, or might end up sort of widening the implications of this and, and forcing Apple to loosen up even further. Um, what do we think? Do we think we're going to see any any meaningful change anytime soon? Or is this going to be a very still kind of a nothing for a, for a while yet? I think it will be, won't it? Oh, sorry, Toddy. Um, no, no, you go, you go, Jim. I was just going to say that, yeah, it, it was, Apple's not going to let go, is it, easily. It's only going to do it when it's forced to by, by these regulators. And I think it's, it's good news for um, 
apps being intuitive because if you were to say install the Netflix app on your iPhone and you, you haven't signed up there's no there's no instructions on how to sign up you have to figure it out yourself mm. so it's going to help from a user experience point of view um, but yeah I think it's going to be very tough even though that might be the first chink in the armor the first crack in the wall I'm not sure it's going to snowball particularly quickly no it's also worth saying what this is and isn't because I mean we, we we haven't seen this obviously go into effect yet. Apple says this will start rolling out next year. Yeah. Um, but going by the comments on its press room, it repeatedly uses the phrase "a link for account setup and management." Um, so what that sounds like is it, it, I'm guessing they will not allow apps to say click here to go to our website and sign up for nine ninety nine a month or whatever. I don't think there'll be a very prominent kind no. of click here and and pay on our website it will still really try and funnel people through the app itself um and the other thing as part of that is i don't think they'll be allowed to advertise discounted pricing on their sites because this has been one model that some companies have used to get around this 30 percent cut is to basically hike up their prices within the apps so that they still get roughly the same amount yeah. through and then just the extra fee goes to Apple and Google. But if you sign up directly through them, you get you pay a cheaper price. But still, Apple and Google are obviously savvy to this happening. So their terms of use also prohibit developers from advertising within the app the fact that they allow this. And again, that is very unlikely to change anytime soon. So it's worth pointing out, and this might be a very specific example on the app that I've chosen, but like I remember I didn't find this out for a while, and some people aren't aware of it, but uh, Twitch. If you subscribe to Twitch through Google, so if, you, if you're watching a channel and you're using the Twitch app on your, on your phone with Google, Google will charge you an extra pound as a subscription through mm. than if you subscribe to the same thing on web and i don't know mm. whether that's a thing in general on other apps it's just I mean, that's maybe... so that, yeah that's the same like thing it. yeah it's 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 yeah. twitch raising the price within the app because they're going to lose 30 percent. they don't want to swallow that whole hit themselves so they're yeah. basically choosing to pass some of that cost on to the consumer uh to make up the difference yeah so it's... through this you know one of the it, very directly through these policies consumers are paying more yeah. Um, so it's really hard to defend from a it's it's for the good of consumers because all of these companies have just responded to well not all companies but a lot of companies have responded to these policies by raising prices within the apps um, which is obviously bad for consumers um, which really kind of undermines the defense Apple and Google might have Apple and Google might have for these I mean the big thing for them is they say it's all about trust and security yeah um, trust is Apple's favorite word um, <laughs> but yeah that's always their line it's that you know they don't want you to buy through anyone else because they want you to buy through Apple because then you can trust the process and you have you know you know you're safe and secure within Apple's loving warm embrace <laughs> and nothing see, can go wrong as long as you keep paying Apple see I think um, this is the thing it's it's the whole reaction to this is just so very Apple in general like the, the, you know our ecosystem is the superior one and nothing can you know you, you must have this product to go with this product and blah, blah. and it's just like yeah I think it's not even I agree with you guys in that I don't really think this will snowball but I think they're probably a bit peeved just with the fact that something like this has gained attraction and attention and something has managed to you know yeah knock a dent in the armour and, and the narration it. in my head when I was reading Apple's official press release uh was definitely through gritted teeth. Yes, yeah. it definitely had a gritted yeah. teeth voice yeah. in my head as it was because it was. You can very... you can imagine them constructing the release and being like, right, how are we gonna yeah. like? <laughs> yeah, careful yeah. now, careful. <laughs> yeah. Put a positive spin I on think... it. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Ultimately, I don't. I think part of the I don't know if the problem. I think this is a natural evolution of a of, of something like an app store, um, especially with digital content. I think you know in the beginning it made a lot of sense for everyone to just flock to the app store because it was the place to be and then that actually helped apple anyway just growing in popularity growing trust growing authority mm -hmm. um and we've had years of that now and now yeah now because there is very little competition between the app store and the play store really globally speaking um yeah i think it's it's it makes sense that now developers and government bodies are looking at this and going that's 
definitely looks like a monopoly to me that you can kind of set your own rules prices for mm. other people's yeah. content um and then also tell them that they can't even advertise that they have discounts elsewhere like i didn't even realize that that well, is so th- this is actually one that is is now going to change in a small yeah. way but to, this is a good example of how draconian apple can be about that stuff yeah is just uh, a week or two ago so just before all of this um one of the other like smaller issues i have was a um an a a I think it was a class action. It was a, a group the of developers who sued Apple in the US. Yes. And this was, and Apple did lose this. But basically, up until this point, Apple has prohibited developers from using contact details it's gained through the App Store. I.e., if someone has installed the app through the App Store and through the iPhone app, given the developer their email address, if that's how the developer got someone's contact details, then they are not allowed to email them or market to them about alternative payment methods. So if someone signed, if someone first signs up to Netflix That's through crazy. their iPhone, Netflix can never email them to tell them that they can also sign up through the website. It can't email them to tell them that a discount is running on its website that's not available through the app. It can't send them links to the website to pay. You know, like it's just even outside of their Apple channels on their own email system, they're just not allowed to tell their customers, hey, go to our website, we've got a sale on. I think... These these wins against Apple, like I mean, you don't need to worry about someone like Netflix or whatever because they they're, they're fine. No. It's it's more the You're smaller right. businesses yeah. and the smaller apps and the startups that are really really going to see the benefit from this. And yeah, hell yeah, like stick it to the man, all of that. Like you know, like, <laughs> I'm all for well, that. Well, totally. I mean, just if the payment processing thing starts to open up more, you know, that thirty percent per per payment is is huge and yeah. again as you say netflix can swallow that and and netflix has built it into its business model that some of its signups will come through that as a spotify and all that. and they moan about it and they're the people pushing the changes because they've got the legal power and the clout and the money to take it to apple and you know things like the, that epic lawsuit you know you needed a company the size of epic to start that that legal fight um but yeah it is the small devs that are the people you really need to think about because it's them that every time they price something, they're getting absolutely stung um, on 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 in-app purchases, and that they're the companies that will make a big difference for. And and Apple is Apple is clearly recognizing this, and they're they're trying to like you know get little wins to claw that back. So they've announced a change that are for devs that um, have that I can't remember the threshold it has, but smaller developers can have a commission of fifteen percent rather than 30 oh, yeah. which does help um 15 as i said other payment processing is more in the single digit percentages so 15 is still several times higher than what visa or mastercard will charge for payment processing um but still it's half of the 30 percent. so that you know that's good but again this is like this is not something apple introduced by choice no. that's something apple introduced <laughs> for a pr win yeah. as it realized it's on the wrong side of all this and you know it's desperately trying to look better as it goes into all these court battles and it wants to be able to hold up evidence that it's you know looking out for smaller devs that it's looking out for consumers all of that sort of thing there's also the potential for uh, apps that use different payment models right now to try and find a way to basically become reader apps, these these approved reader apps or look like reader apps yeah. on the Play Store or just as their payment model going forward because it's in their best interest if they want to save paying Apple or anyone uh, a bigger cut, you know? Um, I was thinking when I first read about the, the, the term reader app and how they're like clearly defining what that means. It made me think I recently heard about this the Converse storage. I don't know how long this has been going on, but I think in the US... Converse come with like a furry sole, like there's like a layer you peel off the sole of the shoe, and it's because in the US, I believe this is uh, the tax on slippers is lower than it is for sneakers. <laughs> so they have they have just put it. a layer of basically kind of carpeting on the soles of their oh shoes that you can just God. take off. Yeah, because they pay less tax, and this is exactly what could happen in a digital way here with reader apps. If more apps look like reader apps or model themselves to be reader apps to save money. Can you imagine? I love walking around my house in my new slippers and pulling out <laughs> <Yeah>. my high tops. <laughs> um, yeah, so I think that's going to be one thing that could potentially come out of this, which is like a kind of weird side effect is pushing people towards this reader app payment model. model. Yeah. yeah. Um, you, could see, you could see comp- you know, apps that say currently offer, set, offer a subscription service or something spinning off a separate app for their subscription version. 
so yeah. that that app can can go in as a reader app while their main app still has a storefront or something, depending on how it works. And there used um, to be, you know, standard, like a free app and then the pro app. And yeah. it, instead of just having a one-off payment, they'll all just go to a subscription service. Yeah. That, that that's true, They actually. wouldn't have bothered with otherwise. That was one of the points you know? in, the, in, the, uh, in the release, wasn't it? That it only applies to services that don't have a free tier. Yes, yes. That yeah. was an important distinction as well, yeah. Um, and, 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 and Apple really... is obviously very clear that it's retaining the say on which apps fit into which bucket. Yeah. And yeah. if there's an ambiguity over its rules, it's going to be Apple making the call over which bucket your app goes into. So they are clearly aware that people are going to start trying to game this incredibly quickly. Yeah. And, uh, and they've left themselves enough gray area to manage that. Uh, I'm also very curious about the, the gaming side of things, because obviously that isn't part of this this release this announcement games weren't mentioned um obviously fortnite is is like the name that everyone thinks of when it's the apple gaming kind of conundrum but you know subscription services like stadia um and i think geforce now if you can play that on on our ipad which i believe you can on ios come into it Um, and and, well the game pass thing is is i think the big one because that's where you know microsoft couldn't couldn't put xCloud, their xCloud streaming service on, on iOS, so now it's only accessible through web. But again, this uh, you know, it is a reader service. It's a subscription yeah. Yeah. to a collection of stuff, but pointedly, Apple's definition of reader services doesn't include interactive stuff. It, like mu- it, must, it must be a bit of a grey area just because of like things like, I don't know, microtransactions or other things sure, like that. You're getting sure. into a really, really complicated... Like... I think Apple's issue is that they are interactive apps in their own right even though you're not installing the software they are discrete pieces of software being run remotely and and that's the issue essentially it's that you are accessing a library of of apps in apple's view and so they don't what they don't want obviously is to create a thing where you go through the apple app store into nested app stores and libraries that other people are providing through the window dressing of of their own app and they basically had rules to try and stop that. Things like Game Pass got caught up in those rules because those rules were made before streaming video games felt like a reasonable proposition. And the funny thing is that Apple's kind of put its foot down on those things rather than adapt its rules. Yeah. De- depending on how this goes, there is also the fact that Netflix is trialing games right now. Yeah. I was about to say that... Th- and that's wrapped into the subscription. It's not a separate fee. So how just, does that work? Just by not allowing video games, they immediately can justifiably cut Netflix out of this reader app category. <laughs> um, yeah. Because oh, yeah. it's actually just this week, Netflix started its rollout of the app stuff um, in Poland, where if you're in Poland and on an Android device, you'll see two of the previously made Stranger Things games pop up in your netflix library um it's just on android and it's they're clearly figuring out and they've been very open that they're figuring out right now the way it actually works is if you tap on one it's just a link to the google play store listing interesting that gives you the chance to then install the game so they're not actually playable through the netflix app it's not streaming them or anything like that but even that right now i i think would you know maybe be you could see apple using it as enough to to draw a line around it in terms of definitions, even more so, uh, again, Netflix already has Black Mirror Bandersnatch, which is technically a choose-your-own-adventure. Right. It's yep. yes. sort count? of a game, yeah. but does Very that mean gray. that's already, yeah, already? Like, how, where is the line, Apple? We need to know exactly what yeah. where games fall on this, because that is really the make or break, especially for companies like Netflix, yeah. I think. Those were the kind of debates going on during the, the epic Apple yeah. lawsuit while that was in, in court. You know, there were lots of debates about, about definitions of what, is a of game? what should count as a game <laughs> versus, you know, does it need points? Do you need to be able to win? Things like that. Yeah. Um, but yeah, no, it is having actual important legal ramifications already. Um, and Apple just keeps walk into these problems um i do want to say again we i mentioned google earlier and, and almost everything we talk about with this stuff applies to google as well um apple just tends to get the short end of the stick in in how everyone talks about it and discusses it but you know google charges the same 30 percent premium their policies are similarly strict on what devs can and can't do i think maybe they're a little more lenient than apple in some specific areas but not by very much i, I don't think there's a lot in it the play store is is e- equally strict one area Google gets a bit of leeway is the technicality that it allows other app stores, whereas Apple doesn't. 
So, you know, you can access the Samsung app store, the Huawei app yeah. gallery. You, you know, you can get to these, uh, you know, Amazon has its storefronts. You can get to these other storefronts on your Android device, which helps it head off a lot of the monopoly charges um, by saying, look, there are other ones there. Uh, it's a bit of a moot point because Play Store dominance on Android is, is enormous and monopolistic. So I think really it, it's a moot point. Um, but yes, I think it's worth noting for every, every ding thrown at Apple here could almost equally be applied to Google. They're not above this at all. Uh, and just as unfriendly to devs for the most part, they just, uh, Apple's a, an easier target. I mean, even the, the, the Korean law that we mentioned at the beginning was colloquially known as the anti-Google law. Yeah. So in Korea, at least, that was seen as a bigger thing for Google than Apple, or Google was the, the thing that prompted it and, and was the target in a way. Maybe that that's a whole other conversation around like branding image and how Google have somehow managed it. You know, either either Apple's done a bad job or Google's done a good job or a bit of both. Like you know, like that somehow Apple seems to get more of the more of the heat when it comes. Yeah, to- I mean, so it was funny. You know, we obviously I mentioned the Epic lawsuit earlier, and you know that is an interesting one because Epic pulled the exact same stunt. You know, the reason that lawsuit kicked off was Epic started adding in other payment options within the apps, knowing that it was breaking the terms of service, you know, trying to bait Apple and Google into kicking it out. Um, And it did it on both iOS and on Android, and both Google and Apple responded by kicking them out. Uh, But it's Apple that they sued. And although they did everything on both platforms, they didn't sue Google. They didn't launch the, the lawsuit against Google. They just chose Apple. And on some level, they either decided they'd have better odds against Apple or from a PR perspective, as you said, there's just a PR calculation to who makes a better villain, um, <laughs> at least in this kind of debate. And I think Apple's total total control of the iPhone ecosystem just sets it up so much harder for these arguments. Yeah. Um, because Google can, do- can dodge a lot of them on the technicality that, hey, there are other app stores, you know. You don't have to use the Play Store. But security, don't. But security. <laughs> <laughs> trust, trust. Trust, trust, security. trust. Um, yeah, I mean, you know, you, you have to think people like Mastercard and Visa must just feel like personally offended that Apple <laughs> Apple costs them as such unsavory figures. Um, isn't isn't the Apple Card their physical card? Isn't that a Mastercard based card as well? Ironically, like I'm pretty uh, yes. sure it's got the two little. Yeah. It's a Mastercard, I think. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it's certainly one of the two, and I'm pretty sure it's a Mastercard. Yeah. Um, hey, but yeah. So we will see. I think Jim's probably in the right that this is a small change that won't yield anything dramatic anytime soon. Um, I imagine the overwhelming majority of people will not notice that the Netflix app now has a link to the Netflix website for account management uh, and won't see it as anything of particular importance if they do spot it. Um, but I think the the risk for Apple and Google fundamentally is that as other lawsuits, as other antitrust investigations go on, this will start to look a lot like international precedent and it will start to look a lot easier to point to say well japan ruled this way and the korean parliament passed that law and you know pressure starts to mount in one direction and so far it's all in one direction and uh it's not the way google and apple would like it to be with that let's move on to our third and final topic for today uh which is all things dodgy phone scam for all of Apple's talk about trust it cannot stop <laughs> this from happening and actually it's areas like this where people are really at risk on their phone and not the idea that someone might you know throw them a link to their website to you know make a payment through their visa or through PayPal um, Jim why don't you sort of uh, run us through the headlines here in terms sure. of what's what's going on well it's nothing new to be honest but what it is is it's much more prevalent at the moment because people are buying more stuff online people have been you know stuck at home a bit more so they've they've been ordering stuff um, getting it delivered that they wouldn't normally do and so the, the uh, scammers have realized wait if we just send sms's telling them they've missed a delivery or that it can't be delivered because they owe a a fee or something maybe an import fee Mm -hmm. any kind of any kind of reason um they'll use it to tell you you owe us some money click this link tap this link on your phone and uh, we'll we'll take your details we'll deliver your, your whatever it is um so it can be incredibly easy to fall for these because um as i've just received one i'm just looking at it on my phone now um 
a lot of messages that come from companies come from mobile phone numbers, right? So you look at the yep. you look at the number at the top. It's not a web address like in an email. You can usually tell that it's there's something up. Not because the scammers have got very good at writing, in, you know, proper English or whatever language it is, and, and making a good job of looking like the official company, right? It's not difficult to copy official communications. But when you look on your phone, it just comes from a phone number. And you've no real way of un- of knowing whether that's, you know, is that really from Royal Mail, from DPD, uh, whichever company it is. Well, so- well, it was part of the debate around the, um, the COVID track and trace stuff in the UK was that a lot of the text messages you'll get telling you, oh, you need to go, you know, you've been exposed to someone, you need to go and get a test done. They just come from random phone numbers. Yes. And so it's the same kind of thing. Even official government <laughs> yeah. communication at the moment can turn up and it's so well, I you know, my my, my uh, someone I know got got the you know, pinged got text message saying she was exposed to a contact, she needed to self isolate. And even I was looking at it, it was like, is this a scam or is this real? Because it's just marked as coming from a random phone number. It doesn't show up as from the NHS. Uh, and there and are there's ways a, there's to do a link. That. And it's hard to see where that link's going to take her. And I was like looking at it like, I don't know if you should click that link or not. And it was legit. But that's it. You're so, you know, scammers have gotten gotten better. Scams have gotten better. Government or official things have either gotten worse (laughs) or just not improved. Or stayed the same. Yeah, or stayed the same. I mean, it's worth pointing out. So I noticed like a massive uptick in this um, at home. And when I traced it back from like the dates that I started getting them, it was after that big facebook leak there was a huge one in um in 2020 Mm. and Mm. um yeah my phone number was attached to there so i think probably at some point i am just going to change my phone number but it's like it's one of those that's like easier said than done because it's just like you know once once it's attached you've got to change it everywhere and it's like oh god like and um (laughs) so that's one of the solutions but the the biggest problem with this is that Maybe, I mean, this particular one I've got, which says your delivery was unsuccessful. Please visit this web address to reschedule your delivery date. Other ones will say, you know, you owe a couple of pounds, a couple of dollars, whatever it is. And you think, oh, okay, it's only a small amount. But of course, the risk is if you do click the link and you type in your, your personal details, obviously you're handing over personal information. But more than that, you're handing over payment details because they'll always ask for either a mm. bank account a sort code and account number or they'll ask for your, your your credit card number debit card as soon as you hand that over they've got your payment details they can they can rinse you of all your money they can empty your bank account and then it's down to mm. the security of your bank whatever sort of maybe notifications you've got set up of, of payments over a certain level you'll get a message saying you know this amount's gone out of your account so there is huge risk involved if you do accidentally tap the link fall for it think it's genuine and you you want you are let's say you are expecting something to be delivered by royal mail and and you weren't in that day and you don't have a you know the smart doorbell so you can't check that someone physically came to the door you did miss a delivery Mm. you might actually this is the problem that so many people are expecting these deliveries they'll think, okay, I did miss a delivery. I was expecting something. I'll go and type in my thing. I, I got as far as um, changing a new date for a DPD delivery because I genuinely thought I'd missed it. I was going to go through, and then I realized, wait a minute. So In our, in our line of work, this is really complicated. <laughs> I was going to say, we're so susceptible to this. Because, yeah. you know, I, I get a delivery of some sort of product for review at least once a week, yeah. often daily, several times a day. I don't always know which courier is coming to me yep. from which company. I've just been told something's being sent, and the the first thing I know about it is I get a message from DHL. And often we have things being sent internationally, so there are, you know, I got used to just getting mes- getting messages from DHL saying, "Yeah, you owe us this for customs, or we won't give you this thing." And I'm like, "Well, I have no idea what product this is, but someone sent it to me for a reason, so I'll pay that customs fee." Yep. Mm-hmm. And yeah, now I suddenly have to, like... have to be a lot more careful about it because it's exactly it's very, there's a very real risk. And very, I've, I've come close as well to falling for it because I've been like, oh, I, I probably do have a DHL thing yeah. coming for me. Yep. Uh, and you start you start going down that path and then, yeah. So the way to avoid it is simply to look at the web address um, because there'll be, mm. there'll be a web link somewhere in that message. You'll, you'll end up going through to it. And it's just a simple case of checking whether that is a valid, genuine web address. And if you're not sure, Google it. There's bound to be, you know, some some result that will tell you, yeah, this is the genuine one for UPS, D- 
DHL, whatever, um, DPD. I think along that line, still some of the best advice is what I remember being given years ago for, or you know, email related, but banking scams is that I'm, and I'm very cautious about this, you know, to this day, even when I get emails I know are from my actual bank, which is never click on the link. But if you have a link from, from your bank, from, you know, Barclays or whatever, just open a new tab and go to the Barclays website and navigate to the page they're trying to get you to go to. And the same applies here. If you get a text from DHL saying, oh, you've got to pay this fee, just go to the DHL website on your computer and try and pay the fee that way and see if see if you can get to the thing that's, um, you know, that that's it's a little extreme, but that is the absolute safe, yeah. you know, yeah. that yeah. way you're definitely avoiding a dodgy link. And the only often, thing- often in the link, Oh, sorry. No, I was, I was just going to say that the only thing you need, because the problem that you have is if someone's sending you something, you won't necessarily know the reference number to to go onto yeah. the DHL website or the, the, the UPS website and type in your, but speak to the sender, get that consignment number, then you can go on the website, yeah. then you can pay your fees if they're due. Yeah. When, when you were saying about the URL, like, because... It, it's I've just found one and it's clever when you're looking at it because the start and the end look legit but when you look in the middle it says dpd dot missed 5b9q yeah. like yeah. you know like it, it's just the sort of thing that if you're not looking at it and you just like see dpd slash redelivery which is like the top and the bottom on the link you'd be like oh yeah sure yeah. but like yeah like sometimes there is just something occasionally in the middle that's like hidden it can literally just be like a letter or a number that's mm. just a bit odd and it's like yeah so the way yeah. that um that urls work is that there's there's a domain which is the middle part so that would be like royalmail.com and what these companies tend to do is they tend to because you can have a subdomain which is the first part so it doesn't have to be www it could be pretty much anything they want because everything then goes to that main domain so they could have royalmail.com anything like the dodgy stuff that you just read dot com and then to people who aren't paying attention it looks genuine so you've got to really inspect the url and check it out mm. you kind of want to look for the last bit before dot com yes. or dot co yeah. uk yeah. or whatever whatever it is uh, if yeah. that last bit doesn't look legit then steer clear or again just go and manually go to that website um you know by yeah. typing it in yourself the other thing that I had happen, and I think it was phone calls, not messages, but I nearly answered it because I was like, what the heck's this? And it was my phone number, but one number changed and I got mm. a couple of calls from it and it happened like a couple of times and I was like, what the heck's that? And like, I've now just started sort of taking the line off. Like if it's an unknown or random number, if it's important, they'll leave a voice message. Like, are, you, are you sure you're not the character in a horror movie, Hannah? <laughs> Don't say this. I'll Repeatedly freak out. Repeatedly <laughs> by your own phone number. <laughs> no, no. It's a I'm gonna be sinister. So, I'm going to be so scared <laughs> if another one of those comes through now. <laughs> a, uh, a left field phone scam that I, I didn't uh, suffer from, but a, an old school friend knew I worked in mobile tech. So they were like, can you fix this? Is And I've only seen it on iOS. Uh, and when I looked it up as well, it seems to be an iOS specific thing. But you've clicked a spurious link whilst you're browsing and what it's done is add a calendar to your phone and all the entries in that calendar are links so it's like and they have a reminder on them so that you get constant reminders popping up that this event is coming up and all this event is is a link to a dodgy website or whatever Mm. um and I'd just never seen that before. And uh, for those who may have suffered this, because it is, I mean, I just knew someone who, who got it. You just go into your accounts under calendar in settings on your iPhone and look for any accounts that you don't recognize that aren't any of your email addresses or mm. weren't there when you set your phone up and delete them. And they're probably, they, it was just called events in all caps as well. So they're trying to be innocuous events. all the way down <laughs> from, yeah, from the actual entries to the, the account that they're putting into your phone. Um, but that was another one I hadn't seen before that I thought was quite an interesting, albeit really annoying, pervasive, uh, yeah, scam yeah. as well. It's it's a funny shift in sort of scam strategies because I think it's you know one of those bits of accepted conventional wisdom that scammers will often purposefully have errors and mistakes and problems in in their messages because they only want to sort of hook someone who's inattentive or unaware enough to to follow through to the end you know they yeah. don't want to waste their time dealing with you unless you're really going to commit and give them the money they're looking for so they what they want to have enough obvious red flags that the people who would never fall for the scam avoid them um 
And that's kind of changed now because it's now with this kind of technical side of it, it's much easier to get even very smart people to fall for this stuff. So they don't need to put in obvious areas and try and throw people off. They can really just be like, no, we, they can get anyone if they're, you know, if they put a little bit of work into it. And even someone who is fairly tech savvy could could kind of unwittingly get quite far down this path before they they they, they get realize they've been got or or will go all the way through. Um, I think that is a, so the whole, that's the whole a valid strategy point. has shifted. Yeah, I mean, I, yeah. I, I'm supposed to be the security expert for Tech Advisor. I almost fell for that uh, that scam by yeah. the re-delivery <laughs> scam, and then I realised, wait a minute, nobody actually ever came to my house. I checked my doorbell at that point. I checked the footage, yeah. right? And went, no one's no one's been here today, so it's a scam. Yeah. Um, and it's, it's <laughs> you've just got to be just got to be very very careful these days because the scams are everywhere. So what we're learning is buy security cameras, don't answer your phone. <laughs> don't click on any links Get a new phone ever. number, change your Get identity. Phone <laughs> uh-huh. Don't use Facebook. No, just, yeah, yeah. just sensible though. Be sensible. Don't, I guess, yeah, I guess don't, don't put your phone number, like if it's like optional on a website and you, you know, yeah. sign up for something like, and you don't need to put your Actually, phone number. Actually, that that's, a, that's yes. a golden piece of uh, security advice. Wherever possible, Remove your phone number from the web. Yeah. Give, give the the less information you can yeah. put out when signing up for things, the better. Yeah. Always just fill in the minimum required fields. I dread to think how big my digital footprint is nowadays. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, there, there, there is a good resource called um, Have I Been Pwned dot yeah. com, where yeah. pwned is P W N E D. And if you've never used it before, I absolutely recommend you go check yeah. it. That was how I found out I got done from that yes. big Facebook thing. Ah, because yeah. it's basically a collection of of you know it, it will you plug in your details or your email address and it will check if it has been included in leaks um, or hacks before and you'll basically find out which sites you your data has been compromised yeah. from and thus that will give you an idea of what's been compromised, how long ago it was compromised, you know which password you, were you using back when you were on you know Facebook in 2017? Do you need to change it anywhere else? That kind of thing. Um, yeah. useful it's only that's kind of where you're going to get on the yeah. on this side is is i was just going to say that's only email addresses if you wanted to check your phone yes. number or anything else there are a raft of new services which we're actually in the process oh, yeah. of uh, reviewing we're going to start reviewing them soon because identity protection um is is a big big thing now so a lot of different companies are offering services where you can you can plug in not just email addresses but credit card details phone numbers even your car registration, social security numbers, but all that sort of stuff. But that you got really you, check that they're legit. You've got to really yeah. before you hand that to exactly. So this is why yeah. you've got to be uh, got to be very careful when yeah. we review them. I was just going to mention because uh, we're talking about how sophisticated these scams have got. I've just remembered um, an anecdote from a friend. Um, there was somebody that my friend knew who was on a dating website. Got talking to this guy. They were they'd literally been talking for a few days at this point. And then he just mentioned, oh, by the way, I've got gold buried in like, this country abroad. <laughs> I love it. If you, you know, if you give me some money, I'll give you a share in it or whatever. Like, wow. And it was like... Talking, talking about only going for people who are gullible, like, you'd think after five days, the scammer would have maybe been able to glean that your mate wasn't going to fall for, yeah. I've got gold buried somewhere like a pirate. But they, really, yeah, they, I mean, really, they went like through the whole, like literally, like, you know, all the flirting wow. and everything. And then, yeah, it was just like, oh, by the way, now that we're in love, do you want wow. to, a share in my gold? But that's it, isn't it? I'd feel so insulted if after several days of talking to me someone still felt yeah I can get that <laughs> they're an absolute idiot <laughs> very gettable ouch <laughs> um, another handy to your friend but yeah. no no I don't know this person it's fine <laughs> hopefully they don't listen to this <laughs> uh, while I think of it before we, we uh, say farewell as well I also want to sign up for TPS or the Telephone preference service, which if you're in the UK is a good service to sign up to, which just checks whether your number is on and removes your number from any telemarketing lists mm. and uh, known scam yeah. lists as well. So it's just another Oh, way. and it's also worth mentioning, I know that I know HSBC does this and I think the NHS did this and maybe Royal Mail, but they sometimes literally do send out mass texts being like, We'll never ask for payment or these details. Like, you yep. know, yeah, if, yeah. if you need to do a two factor thing, now click this, this link. This is what you no. do. Now <laughs> click this link and send me your passport details. <laughs> um, but yeah. Uh, 
thanks to Ricky in the comments as well, who's appreciative of all this information. So yeah, especially thank you to Jim, I guess, for having you on yes. for your unique security insight here. It's been very helpful. No problem. We'll do. I think we'll do some more security tips in future as well, because there's so, there's much more to look out for than than just always changing. Know, it's always there's always new yeah. stuff to look out for. So yeah, you never know. Might be a regular and thing, especially. A growing area in the mobile space where i think people are very aware of keeping their like their computer safe but i think awareness around you know antivirus and, and protection yeah. on your phone is actually still relatively light even though we're now you know a decade into smartphones yeah. people still yeah. don't really think about how to protect themselves on their phone in the same way i was gonna say do you still think there are people who don't who think macs don't get viruses Oh, I, from the comments on our videos about Mac viruses, Trust. absolutely. Trust, there honey. are people out there who oh. think Macs don't get viruses. Right. Well, Apple is that's a subject a for another day. garden. You can't get into <laughs> yeah. it. Macs and iPhones never get viruses. It's impossible. If you They're Apple, this you know perfect <laughs> ecosystem, it cannot be hacked. No one's capable. If you called one of the these YouTube scammers comments. that you get on the text, Apple would show up with a sword at the ready. Sure, for sure. <laughs> a sword. Wow. Yeah. Tim, Tim Cook himself would be there. To yeah. Fend them off. You. Get you back. <laughs> uh, right. Uh, I think that'll do for today. Uh, thank you to Hannah and Jim for joining us this week. And of course, thank you to everyone who has been watching and listening for sticking with us. Uh, we will be back same time, same place next week. I'm pretty sure at that point we'll be able to talk about the Vivo X70 series because, as I mentioned, that is launching on September 9th, the date of next week's show. So we'll have that to talk about and hopefully some other stuff too. So until then, thanks very much. Bye. 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 Bye.